Well, good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and um, I was thinking about, uh, just give you an idea of where we're going uh, in these series of messages, uh, where and why we're going this way. Um, we want to figure out what it is that God has for us in this culture that we live in today. Uh, this culture has, um, has radically changed in, in some of our eyes. Um, there is a shift. Um, I'm not sure that it has happened as quickly as we ever would actually think if we understand uh, the mechanisms that have been happening underneath the surface for a while. Um, the Bible does have much to say about the struggles that are happening here today. Uh, the Bible has much to say about how we are called to live and how we're called to live individually and how we're called to minister to others. I was thinking about the fact that um, how often is it that the church comes across as either soft or late or unlearned or prideful or harsh? The sad reality is, is that we have the gospel of God's amazing grace. We have truth. But far too often we get in the way of that truth and it hinders other people from seeing uh, the light of the beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we're hoping to see in these series of messages is how then shall we live? That given this culture of what we're struggling with around us, how are we as a body of believers called to live? How are we called to live in our families? How are we called to live in this body, in this community? And how are we called to live in the outer community that is happening around us? We know that one of the core beliefs here at the chapel is that God changes people through through vital relationships. So these vital relationships are going to be important. I think one of the dilemmas that we will find today is that many of our culture, we do not have a strong impact into our culture because we do not relate with the culture. We have not connected with them. What we're going to see this morning, Lord willing, is how Jesus related to those that were around him and how he calls us to do that as well. I was thinking about Jesus, that Jesus was the, the type of man and the type of God, of course, who had compassion for those that were hurting. How oftentimes was it in the Gospels that he would see sinners walking around, he would see the misery, he would see the difficulties in their lives, and he would have compassion on them. He was moved to tears many times. He, he cried over that. He felt compassion and mercy for them. Jesus tended to meet people at their need, their point of their deepest need, that he would help them to see that the need was not just superficial, that there was something deeper that was there in their lives, and he would come and rescue them. If you can remember when he was with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus has these questions, and Nicodemus is this spiritual leader, and he should have had the answers, and Jesus lovingly and caringly brought truth to him, but he brought him to the deepest issue, that Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Jesus talked about the fact that he was going to offer rest and comfort and peace. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and what will I do? I will give you rest. That Jesus was that type of person that confronted people when they were in error as well. There was no doubt that Jesus was confrontational. But he was caring in his confrontation. He was confrontational because he was concerned about people. And that's what we need to be able to do as well. And he redirected ways people thought. He got deeper. He didn't just talk about the superficial things in their lives. He talked deeply about the thoughts. He challenged the way people saw things. He challenged their perspectives. 
He did it graciously and compassionately. I was thinking, why is it that we have a failure as a Christian church to have an impact on our society? I came up with several things. Maybe you'll agree with some. I think we have a tendency to categorize people. We have a tendency to label them. And by doing so, what we do is put a stigma on them. We put them in a camp, we label them, and therefore we tend to separate them from ourselves. They're the sinner and we are the righteous one. Well, there's not a moment in time that I don't sin. There's not a day that goes by that I don't sin. And I need to recognize that except for the grace of God, I could be exactly in those same people's positions. So I need to be very careful about categorizing people. I think one of the tendencies that we've had in a modern church is that we tend to try to impact people from the outside in rather than challenging from the inside out. That as we, as we speak truth, and that takes longer to speak truth into somebody's heart, to be able to sit down and work with them, to disciple them, to mentor them, to be with them in relationships so that you could start to work on the way they think and work on the, way, the values that challenge their lives. I think that we fail to impact people today because we pronounce law without gospel. We pronounce rules without relationship. We pronounce commands without compassion. We pronounce truth without grace. It's very easy to throw a Bible verse at somebody, but the gospel, the Bible is not just law, but it's gospel. It's not just truth, but it's grace. And Jesus was a man full of grace and full of truth. I don't know about you, but we tend to go one way or the other. Either we are truth tellers and we'll tell you right off the bat, or we are gracious. But God says that in order to be a relational person so that you can confront the culture, you need to have both in, our li in your life. I think that we tend to fail because we tend to magnify and trust in political saviors rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether that political savior is going to be a president that we're going to choose. Oh no, what happens if my presidential candidate doesn't get in? This country is not going to be changed by any of the candidates that we have here today. This country is going to be changed by the gospel getting in people's hearts and lives and transforming them. I think that we fail as a church today to impact our culture because we magnify the sins of the world and we minimize our own sins. We fail to deal with our own sins. And that's one of the reasons why people out in the world don't want Christianity is because they don't see anything different in us. And what we do is magnify their sins and idolize, I mean, um, stigmatize them and put a label upon them rather than focusing on the things that we need to change in our marriages, in our homes, in our lives. Right. Lord, I, um, I think we fail to impact this culture because we are late to respond. The things that have happened in our culture today have been happening over years but the church has been late to respond. And then when cap changes happen, then we overreact. And the problem is, is this, that God wants us to anticipate with a mind to be able to see down the road of what is going to happen and to live out and to be able to speak truth into our culture and not overreact, be able to be there with them step by step, day by day. I think we fail to impact our culture because we lack integrity at times. We're not honest in our communications. We're not consistent in our character. 
I think that we fail to impact our culture today because we lack a servant heart. I think that even coming to church at times, people come to church and want to be entertained rather than to be educated. They come here so that I feel good rather than glorifying God. And we're in trouble if that's the case. I, fail, I think we fail to impact this culture because we stop listening to people. Listening is relational. Listening is, shows respect. Listening builds relationships. Listening shows value. Even if you don't agree completely with what the other person is saying, can you listen to them and hear from them and then lovingly direct them? The last thing I can think of is the fact that we stop loving people. Jesus said that the, the primary issue is that we are called to love God with all our heart and to love others more than we love ourselves. I wonder that as you get your gas pumped or you're at the grocery store or in your neighborhood, do you see that person as a person that's on a broad path to destruction? Do you see that person as someone who is blinded by sin is on the path to hell? Do you see that you've been given the only remedy for rescue in your life that is not to be held, but to be shared? And I think we miss it. So today I want you to just think about how Jesus responded to his culture. How Jesus responded to, to two people. I could go for hours on this, but I won't. In John chapter 4, Jesus was with a woman at Samaria. It says this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob that was given to son of Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, sat beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Jesus had, um, had a purpose to be there. Most Jewish people, because of the Samaritans, would avoid this area completely. Jesus providentially went through this town because he had a divine appointment with one woman, one woman that was going to have an impact on other people. And Jesus had to pass through that place, and he sat down at the well. And it, it shows me that Jesus Christ was, was human. He was totally human. He was fully human and fully God. And he got tired, just like you and I do, just like we get tired on the journey. And he sat down, and he wanted a glass of water. But Jesus didn't have a cup there, so this woman comes in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, she is drawing out of the well. And it's interesting that most people would draw out of the well in the early morning or in the evening, but this woman was coming in the heat of the day. I think we'll find out why in a moment. Well, Jesus, this woman, verse 7, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Yeah, I know that if you hear many sermons about give me a drink, it's like the fact that Jesus as a Jew was talking to a woman. First of all, that was a no-no. 
and that Jesus as a Jew was talking to a Samaritan, which was a no-no. But Jesus also said, I don't have a cup. Can I have a drink out of your glass? Jesus asked this woman for a drink. Can you imagine that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords went to the one that was a sinner and he asked for a drink? He made a connection with her. It says in verse 8, for his disciples had gone a long way into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a Samaritan, a woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, if you have nothing to draw the water and, and it's deep, the well is deep, where do you get this living water? She's thinking earthly. Jesus is going to take her deeper. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty and I don't have to come here and draw water. She's still thinking on an earthly level. And then Jesus, caring confrontation out of concern. Jesus said to her in verse 16, go, call your husband and come here. Now you already know the story that this woman is living with a man. He's not even her husband. In that culture, that was crazy. Um, but then she had had multiple other husbands before. And Jesus lovingly said, go get your husband. And the woman said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said, you are right in saying that. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you're now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. And what, you, what I notice here about Jesus is this. He was very caring. He was kind. He was thoughtful. He was gentle. He was considerate. He was compassionate. And he drew her in. There was no manipulation here. There was no threats. There was a gentle conversation. And he confronted the issue that was there in her life. He challenged her. He gave her some idea that, wait a minute, your life is out of order. And she knew that already because she's coming there in the middle of the day so that she doesn't have to deal with anybody else. Because everybody else knew that she was a woman of Samaria. Everyone else knew that she was in, living an adulterous and wrong lifestyle. She was coming there to avoid people and Jesus encountered her. Jesus tells her that an hour is coming, verse 23, and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship, worship in spirit and in truth. You'll see the rest of the story that this woman gets so in, encouraged by Jesus that she says, I want this. And now she runs back to her town and she says, let me tell you of one who's told me everything about my life. Jesus was so caring, so concerned for her, so compassionate. Hold your finger there and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. 
Because there was a second person that Jesus encountered. Now this person, it worked out well, right? The woman of Samaria heard the gospel. Apparently she accepted Lord Jesus Christ as her savior. She went then and testified about what God had done in her life. Well, it would make sense that Jesus would treat her well because she accepted him. How did Jesus treat those that didn't accept him? In Mark chapter 10, it says this, the rich young ruler, verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man came up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said to Jesus, teacher, all of these I've kept since my youth. And Jesus said to him, but actually did this, Jesus looked at him, he loved him, and he said to him, you lack one thing, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Once again, what we do is we find a savior who is caring, who is confrontational, but he was doing it out of concern. And what we see is that Jesus lovingly looked at this man and said, I care about you. Here's your deepest problem. Your deepest problem is not all these laws that you think you've dealt with. Your deepest problem is you have not surrendered your life to God. You believe that there's something here on this earth that is going to bring you personal peace and affluence and freedom, and it won't. And Jesus lovingly pointed out his deepest issue. Verse 22, disheartened by this, the man went away sorrowful and had great possessions. So from these two stories, I find that Jesus took the initiative with people. Jesus went to people. Like he went to this woman at Samaria, he went to them. Part of what we need to do as a church is to invade this culture and to initiate and go there after them. Many of them are not going to walk into this building on their own. Many of them are going to be impacted by you out in this world. He took initiative. Jesus gave up traditionalism. Jesus gave up those traditions. I can't talk to this woman. I can't talk to the Samaritan. He went after people because he knew that they needed the gospel of his amazing grace. Jesus was available to others. Jesus was wise and learned. He knew the truth. Jesus looked at others. I, I work in New York City, and oftentimes I think about it, the thousands of people that pass me day after day. I go into the World Trade Center three days a week and out people after person that are walking by me, do I see them? Do I see that they are people that are in need of a savior? The sad reality is sometimes I don't. But Jesus looked at people. Jesus loved people. Jesus listened to people. And then Jesus led them to the truth in their lives. There's a gentleness in Jesus. There's a compassion in Jesus. There's a truth-telling in Jesus because he loved people. So as we begin this series of messages, one thing I want to avoid deeply is that we do this topic and it's like, yeah, them. A topic of race or a topic of justice or a topic of life or a topic of sexuality or any of the other topics that we will deal with over this fall semester the reality is, is that we will have a tendency, a temptation to say it's them. No, it's us. 
Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And that God, except for the grace of God, I could be exactly where those people are. And it was only by God's grace that he's opened our eyes to see the gospel of his amazing grace. And they need to be able to see. And God wants to use you to touch their lives. There's a passage in 2 Timothy. You can turn there if you want. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. Jesus is um, talking through the Apostle Paul to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, perhaps we can use this as our foundation as we move forward this fall. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I love this passage. This is Paul, his very last letter he's written. He's writing it to his friend Timothy, his mentee, This one, he is ready to die, Paul is. And it's the last thing he says to Timothy, and he's the last thing he's saying to his church, that I want you to live in such a way that stop being quarrelsome. We have a tendency as a church at times just to get into fights with people, and we think that we can win because we have the truth, but they miss the truth. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind. Recognize that it is God who is going to do the work in somebody's life. I cannot persuade anyone. I cannot manipulate anyone into the kingdom. It's the Holy Spirit that gets a hold of people's hearts and transforms them. This passage tells me I need to be ready. I need to be patient. I need to be gentle. I need to be willing to proclaim the gospel, but then I also need to be willing to demonstrate the gospel in my lives, in my life, and in your life. So there are people that are hurting today. There is a lot of people that need healing today. He said here in 2 Timothy that uh, there are people that were, need to come to their senses. I think we believe, and I wasn't saved in a moment's notice, it took time after time to hear the gospel message over and over again. Some people need to come to their senses. They need to escape the snare of the devil. Do you know what the sin impacts the way we think? Sin impacts the rationality of this world. Sin impacts the way we see things. And what God does for us slowly but surely is he takes the gospel message through you to impact people's hearts and lives. Well, this is only going to happen through relationships. You are called to be salt and light in this world. Salt is this great preservative, and back in that culture, they didn't have refrigeration, so you would put salt deep into the meat, so it would preserve the meat, but it was also a flavor enhancer. But Jesus said, not only are you salt, but you're light. Light shines in the darkness, and it breaks out and gives an illumination to the world that is out there. So I guess I ask you today, as we begin this series, do you realize that it's going to take time to see people changed. You're not going to say one message to somebody and then all of a sudden they're going to come to Christ as their Lord and Savior in all likelihood. It's going to take time. You need to be patient. It's a process. 
Do you recognize that your life can promote change in people's lives? Your life needs to become a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. Your life has to be a life of obedience so that they could see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life has to be a fruitful ministry. And as we deal with these topics today, I want you to recognize that there was a moment in time where you were blind. There was a moment in time where you were deaf. There was a moment in time where you were dead and God, by his amazing grace, rescued you. And in all likelihood, he rescued you through a relationship because God changes people through vital relationships. One last passage I want you to consider before we close. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul was talking about his ministry and he said this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, and the image of Son. For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as his servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want you to consider the fact that we got to stop categorizing people. We need to stop lumping people into categories. We need to proclaim the gospel along with the law. We need to recognize that it's not going to be any political leader that's going to save us. We've already got a savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be looking at our own sin and our own lives before we start to magnify the sin in this world. We need to be looking and not overreacting. We need to be taking step after step to come after him. And we need to be caring about people, confronting them in love because we are concerned about people. And when we do that, we have an opportunity to declare his majesty. We proclaim that his name is exalted for he reigns magnificently. He rules victoriously. And your power, Lord, is shown in all the earth. We exclaim that our God is mighty. Lift up your name for you, God, are holy. Sing it again, all honor and glory. In adoration, we bow before the throne. Point people to the only one that is the answer for their hope. Don't point them to yourself. Don't ram them down with truth lovingly point out truth, but point them to the gospel of God's amazing grace. Point them to Christ and see lives changed for the glory and honor of his name. Lord, today I pray that um, there's so many of us today, Lord, that are, are missing it. We, um, we know just enough of the Bible to get us in trouble we know just enough of the Bible to kind of ram it down somebody's throat. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be truth tellers, but gracious and loving. Father, I know that these 
people, a number that are sitting here this morning are here because they love your son. They're here because they know your word and they love it. They're here because they want to have an impact in our culture and they want to learn how. So Father, point us back to your son. Father, point us to the fact that Jesus sat down with a woman and had a conversation with her and pointed out her greatest issue. Remind us of how Jesus lovingly looked at a man who rejected him and still cared for him. And Father, help us to be people that are declaring your majesty to the world. Lord, I pray for those that may be here who have never trusted in your son. Lord, I pray that they would see that there is um, there's hope and healing in the gospel. That I don't have to cover up my shame any longer. My guilt, my fear is gone in Christ. That you've taken us, taken it away from us. And for those of us that do know you, Lord, I pray that we would be vessels of your mercy, instruments of your grace, for the glory of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.